This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Uh, and here we are studying um, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Last week, uh, last time we met, we only managed to get through uh, eight verses. Uh, and we'll see how many we get through right now because it is an incredibly packed uh, book. For those that um, are just joining us fresh, the book of Deuteronomy is a commentary to the Torah. How many books are there in the Torah? Four. Right, yes. Here we call it the five books of Moses. Yes, that's right. But the fourth book, he's already given the Torah. Now he begins to make a comment on the Torah. And there's things that he leaves out and things that he adds and things that he changes. And it's very interesting to see what he does with the Torah, um, uh, which is a fascinating study. Remember, Moses, our hero, began his career by turning around and saying to God, uh, you know, I think Exodus 3, I can't talk. Please don't send me. And now, at the end of his career, uh, he ends up with the longest monologue uh, in all the Bible. Okay? And so you go, wow, somewhere between Exodus 3 and Deuteronomy, he's managed to pick up the uh, gift of the gap. He's, he's, he's had a speech pathologist, he's had some healing, okay, some therapy, and away he goes. And it's very interesting what, what he does with the text. Um, Alright, so we will uh, begin with a word of prayer. Uh, brother, could you start us open in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you that we can gather here uh, tonight around your word. We pray that you will soften our hearts, that you will open our ears, and that we will hear and uh, take to heart what it is that you want to say to us tonight. pray your blessing over this time, and we thank you for hearing um, explaining your words. Uh, your name we pray, Amen. Amen. Now, because uh, next week is Purim, and we, as our tradition, put on a Purim play, um, upstairs where we normally meet has become a construction so, so, uh, place for painting and craft building and prop making. Uh, and so we're going to be here in the dining room today, which means that all during our study, we will have people walking in and walking out. And you know what? That's okay. Yes? yes. Yeah, so so don't, don't let it get you, okay? If somebody walks in and makes lots of noise, we can always repeat ourselves. We really can. So we will go over our notes from uh, the last, uh, uh, from two weeks ago, which was uh, just the, the first eight verses for those that um, uh, might remember. So having concluded the historical narrative opening of his monologue, that's chapters one to three, Moses begins the commentary of the Torah. He starts by telling the assembly to hear, Shema, that is, listen and obey the laws that he is about to teach. Shema means both of those things, listen and obey. However, they have already had Moses declare and teach the Torah, its commandments and laws, before at Mount Sinai. Have they not? Yes. So here, though, in verse 1, what Moses instructs is not called Torah. He says, 
please listen to my chokim and mitzvot. They are conditional to taking possession of the land and to live. Yes, he says, obey the laws and you will possess the land and that you may live. Which begs the theological question, and we had this discussion, is it actually possible to live by them? And if it's not, why say this? And so we noted in our discussion, we had a little discussion about what does it actually mean to live? What does it actually mean to obey? What does it actually mean to do it in the land? Okay? And we noted in our discussion that in Genesis 26 verse 5, God says to Isaac that Abraham has been able to keep God's Torahs. And actually says it in the plural. Thus, if Abraham can do it, even before the Torah was given, then we should be able to do it as well. Which is an interesting thought. Now, it's, if you love me, keep my commandments, says Jesus. Okay? The Bible is thought of as divine language in Jewish thought. And with such a high view of scripture, Moses warns the people against adding or subtracting from the commands of the Lord. The same warning is reiterated by John in Revelation 22.18. What do we mean by adding or subtracting? And then we noted that the Protestants have subtracted books from the canon. Right? We have. We had a reformation and then shrunk our Bible. Moses, he re uh, as he retells the Torah, does not include everything. He does both adding and subtracting. While we might know not know exactly what that term means, in context it seems to be an idiom in relation to the commandments of God. Don't add to the commandments of God. Don't subtract from the commandments of God. It would behoove us, therefore, to do diligence that when studying the words of God, not to miss something, not to skip over something, nor to solely concentrate on one theme. In this context, then Moses reminds them of the sin of Baal Peor, in which the women of Midian begin to seduce the Israelite males. You can see that in Numbers 25. In this incident, we see that Israel has forgotten the words of the Lord. They've subtracted. And Pinchas becomes zealous and he retaliates with violence. Yet he was given a covenant of peace, a Brit Shalom. This is the first and only time that such a covenant is ever mentioned in the Bible. And this Brit Shalom is to be with him and his house forever. Which means, how long? Forever. Which means, there's some Jewish family on this planet, right, that has a covenant of peace. This has led to the tradition, and it's a Jewish tradition, of the wandering Jew who lives forever. So one stream of uh, Jewish thought says it actually only meant Pinchas, 
not anybody else. And so because it actually meant forever, the guy actually never died. And so there's this poor little bloke running around the planet, not being able to die, okay? But don't worry, he has peace, <laughs> okay? Um, and this actually has also leached into Christian tradition. We do have Christian traditions, uh, not necessarily in our Protestant uh, side, but in other sides, that um, the man who struck Jesus in the temple, he was told that he would never die and he had to wait until the Messiah returned. And so you end up with this tradition of the wandering Jew, that there was this man waiting for his judgment day and oh, wasn't that terrible. Okay, do I believe that? No, but it's a tradition. Where'd they get it from? They got it from an earlier one that uh, had this interesting verse in the Bible that God makes a special covenant just with this private family with a guy who got so zealous for the law that he killed people. And so um, if you get zealous for the law, do you think you can run out and kill people? <laughs> right, so in, our, in modern Jewish tr tradition, okay, read that about a thousand years ago, they began to try and downplay the zealousness of Pinchas. They really do. They tried to try. They, the commentaries get very weak. They skip over him. They don't want people to turn around and go, ah, to be zealous for the Lord means to go out and kill all the heathens. Okay? Read that Templars and Crusaders, okay? We all, we all can do it too. So, so the Jewish people saw, oh my gosh, this is a story. We don't like it. We don't like it there. So they began to try and downplay it. But it is in the text. And Moses does, does reiterate it as he's talking to the children of Israel. He says, don't forget, you saw, you saw what happened at uh, Peor. You saw what happened. We forgot the Lord. We subtracted and we ended up uh, causing all kinds of problems. And this other guy had to come along and do something horrible. Right? He, had to, he had to kill people. That's horrible. We don't want to do that. So don't, don't forget. So Moses then declares that the laws he is teaching are to be performed in the land. Sacrifices are to be given in the place the Lord will show. Where's that? Here. Right. Okay, he doesn't actually say that in the text. It's not actually in the land. But uh, this begs the question, what if you are outside the land? Moses says, you ought to do these things in the land. Okay. What if I'm outside the land? If I have to offer a sacrifice in the place the Lord chooses, but I'm not there, can I offer a sacrifice? What's the answer? No, you cannot. Literally speaking, you cannot make a sacrifice outside the land of Israel. Therefore, what do you do for your sin? I mean, if that's true, you would never want to leave the land of Israel, would you? Okay, but they did. At the time of Jesus, you had more Jews outside the land of Israel than in it. So, what do you do with your sin? The answer is, repent. It was always repent. All sacrifices in the Torah are actually for unintentional sin. There was no offering for intentional sin. For that, one had to repent from the heart which is the theme that you will find in the New Testament. A Midrash on Exodus 20 says that all the world heard God speak at Mount Sinai. In Sefer Devarim, we are told that the world would indeed hear the Torah and it will watch, it will observe, it will observe the nation of Israel. 
Moses announces that Israel will become known as a wise and understanding nation, thanks to the wisdom, compassion, and righteousness of the Torah. By fulfilling the commandments, the people of Israel will reflect the character of God to the world. They will become lights to the nations. Moses reminds the people that unlike other nations, Israel uh, has her God dwell in the midst of them. And this is what makes Israel unique among the world. Also, we note that Moses slightly changes the location of God. Ooh, how did he do that? Instead of locating God in the Mishkan, the tabernacle, because that's where he is, right? Yes, he's there, you got a cloud. Moses says, God is close whenever you pray to him. He doesn't say in the land. Now isn't that? This is a monumental shift in theology. And too often we miss it. God is close, even outside the land of Israel. When you pray and call on his name. So Jewish people can happily live in Athens. They cannot offer a sacrifice. But what can they do? They can pray. And they can repent. And they can know, because of Sefer Devarim, that when you call on God, He is close. Right? So verse 8 finally uses the word Torah. All, all in the first seven verses, it just calls it Chokim and uh, Mishpatim. And now finally it uses the word Torah. The Torah is a gift from heaven, and it is connected to the Almighty. Therefore, it must, by very definition, be good. Yes? And that's why Paul will say, the law, the Torah, is holy, just, and good. Doesn't mean it's perfect. Doesn't mean it was talking about the way of salvation. Remember, nothing ever there talked about your intentional sin. You are still going to have to repent. And, uh, and that's what you're going to get in the New Testament. Okay? And you can call on God wherever you are. That doesn't make Jerusalem not important. That's not what Moses is saying. What he's doing is a massive theological shift where he says, whenever you call on God, and he does it very subtly. And because of the diaspora, because the Jewish people were spread all over the world, this book became incredibly important. And so you find that this is the book that's quoted most times in the New Testament. 300 allusions and direct quotations, more than any other book of the Bible. And when you go into uh, other extra-biblical sources, they're also quoting this one. Because it's the one that's allowing them to be Jewish people and maintain their traditions outside the land. Without feeling guilty like, oh my gosh, we can't go to the temple. We can't go and, uh, and offer sacrifices. Okay? How do we call on God? Well, you can call on God wherever you are. And because He's God, He's going to listen. And that is a massive theological shift, which you don't have in Exodus and, uh, and, and, and those other books. All right, so we're going to pick it up at uh, verse 9. And um, let's read chapter 4, verse 9, from all the way through to 31. Okay? Is that okay? Yes. 
Now, of course, uh, we are recording this and most likely it is not going to pick up everybody in the room. So speak really loudly, okay? Right, with lots of energy and enthusiasm. And I shall begin. So Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Tell them how the Lord spoke to you from the fire, how you heard him speaking, but did not see him in any form at all. He declared his covenant to you. He commanded you to follow the Ten Commandments, which he wrote on two stone tablets. At that time that the Lord commanded me to teach you his decrees and regulations, so you would obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. So watch yourselves carefully, since you did not see any form on the day the Lord spoke to you as Horeb from the midst of the fire. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, a likeness of male or female. Or represent. <coughs> Representation of any animal on earth or representation of any bird that flies in the air. The likeness of anything that creeps on the ground or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon in the stars and the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and tell them, These are the Lord your God, your God has allotted to all the people under the heaven. For the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron place, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, the, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes and swore that I would not cross over the Jordan and that I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. For I must die in this land. I must not go over to Jordan, but you should go over and take possession of the good land. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you became the father of children and grandchildren, and have grown old in the land, then if you corrupt yourselves by making a carved or sculptured image in the form of anything for the purpose of worship, and do evil things in the sight of the Lord your God, provoking him to anger. Today I call on heaven and earth as witnesses against you. If you break my covenant, you will quickly disappear from the land you are crossing in the Jordan to occupy. 
you will live there only a short time, then you will utterly, uh, then you will be utterly destroyed. Adonai will scatter you among the peoples and among the nations to which Adonai will lead you away. You will be left few in number. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone and work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Search the past, the time before you were born, all the way back to the time when God created man on the earth. Search the entire earth. Has anything great, has, he, has this ever happened before? Okay, uh, that'll do. All right, so on that initial surface reading, what jumps out at you? Is there something there that you've noticed for the very first time? Which usually happens. <laughs> uh, is there something there that you notice every single time you read it? This actually has one of my favorite verses in it. Anyone know which one it might be? 29. 29. Yeah. 29. Yeah. The one you got to read. Yeah, the one I got to read. I was like, oh, thank you very much. That's awesome. Yes, because we actually had a, uh, a Jewish believer who worked here for about four years, uh, David Sinai. I think you might remember, no, does anyone remember him? He uh, is a, a guy, Israeli, um, lives uh, from Iran, um, um, a Jewish guy from uh, Persian extract, extract uh, lived and worked as a diamond merchant in Tel Aviv, made lots of money, thought it was fantastic. He loved the world, had a nice girlfriend. Then one day discovered that his girlfriend was sleeping with his best friend. Oh dear. And he's like, what? Completely devastated. My friends fail me. My girlfriend fails me. I've got all this money, but it's failed me. Life's useless. So he ends up going to guess where? India, because that's where they have the truth, right? And uh, he starts partaking of all of Mother Nature and going from ashram to ashram, he said, from guru to guru. He said if, if, if someone told him the truth is on a mountain, he went there. And he lived and he studied and, you know, before you know it, he's got a big beard and he's living in a cave in a loincloth. Okay? But nothing's satisfying him. And then one day he's in, he's in, his, in uh, a village and he's in his, in his uh, room and he's at his lowest. And then he starts praying. And he says, God, if you're really there, I really need you. I need your help. I, I can't do this anymore. And do you know what he said? He said God showed up. He said he really felt God stand right in front of him. And, cause, and it was oddly enough, you know, that uh, the parasha to Shavuot for that week was Devarim. If you seek me with all, all your heart, what's the promise? Finding. You will find me, right? And that's a good thing. And then oddly enough, because this is how God works, right? He's in India, yes? He walked out of his house thinking, oh, I feel so good. There really is a God. Guess what was lying on the floor? 
a Hebrew New Testament. Could you consider the luck? Okay. Right. So he reads it and he's like, wow, this is fantastic. And he thinks he's the only Jewish believer in the entire world. Okay. And he comes back to Israel and he doesn't know any of the other believers. He hasn't, doesn't know what's going on. He's just lived in Tel Aviv in a secular little universe. And uh, apparently he's uh, needed to get his car repaired. So he was driving to a mechanic and uh, he heard the mechanic arguing with another Jewish believer about Jesus. And the mechanic's like trying to kick this believer away. So he chases the believer and says, hey, do you believe in Yeshua too? And he's like, yes. He's like, oh my gosh, we must be like the only two people on the entire planet. And he's like, oh no, there's lots of us. And he's like, oh wow. Okay. And he ended up coming and working with us for four years. And, uh, but, but that verse is, is, is true. That if you seek God with all of your heart, uh, it's a great promise, is it not? Yes, and, and it's found here in, in Deuteronomy, right? Moses could have said, he's already said, right? Follow these commands and live. Now he also says, if you seek me with all your heart, remember, it's always about the heart. There's nothing inherently wrong with the laws of God. They can't be wrong. They're from heaven, right? However... There's another side of this that's incredibly important. And uh, it's the, the themes that Moses is showing up right now. Anything else there in, the, in this little chapter? When it talks about um, this mountain of fire, what's the first thing that comes into your brain? Scary. Scary? Beautiful. Anyone think volcano? <laughs> <laughs> you know this sort of fire that stretches up to heaven? Well, it kind of sounds like a... But uh, um, a lot of the volcanic activity that's in this land uh, is obviously dated geologically uh, a lot further back, um, whether you believe or dis uh, agree with those sort of time periods. I personally don't, but that's um, another discussion. But, well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, you were talking about your favorite verse. I don't know if it's my favorite verse, but this is uh, one of the strongest promises of God in the Bible. It's very similar to it in verse 31. He will never leave you, destroy you, or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them by an oath, because the Lord your God is a compassionate God. And in chapter 31, it's very, very similar to what he says God promises in verse 6 of chapter 31, um, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Yep. And that's quoted in the New Testament in Hebrews 13. Mm -hmm. And it, what's interesting about it is there's nine words and there are five negatives. It's one of the strongest statements in the Bible. Yeah. Never, 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 yeah. Five times leave right. you. So mm. it's a great passage. Yeah. One of the strongest statements that's probably made in the Bible by God. Yeah, and you can see where Paul gets in Romans when he's talking about how can how will God ever forsake the Jewish people? What's the obvious answer? No, he will not. Right? He's given these things here, and uh, and so you can see Paul in Romans where he says, um, "Okay, as far as the gospel goes, they're enemies, but they are beloved because of the patriarchs." Right? Because, because God says, look, if because of the, your forefathers, I've made a promise to them. And I, I can't go back on my promise. So I'm caring for you, even though things aren't working out the way we might not 
think they should. Okay, so let's have a closer look then uh, at the text, uh, starting at verse 9. And so uh, Moses asks or instructs his people to be careful so that they don't forget. What are they not supposed to forget? Don't forget the things your eyes have seen. Okay, not just, even though he's been talking about things like shma, here, listen. He says, now be careful. Don't forget the things that your very eyes have actually seen. What would be some of the things that their eyes have seen? Cloud, fire. Parting of the sea. Parting of the sea. Yeah, for the little people. Okay, they, you know, when they're a bit young when that happened, but they would still remember this... Water from a rock, fed every day, clothing that never wears out. Yeah. Food from heaven. Yeah. Okay. So they're not to forget the things that they've seen. And so they've seen miracles, and yet, even though you might have seen a miracle, what's the danger? Isn't that incredible? And yet, it's one of the things that people constantly say. Oh, if your God is really God, why doesn't he do miracles for you? You think, yeah, actually, that doesn't help your faith. Yes. Because even though we see incredibly powerful things, somehow the cares of this world, somehow the distractions, somehow our very... Uh, that, that part of us that, that uh, rebels against the Lord just forgets it. And yet, so hard. And I guess one of the great blessings for people getting together in groups is to remind ourselves of the great things that God has done. Amen. You know, when you get a little down and you go, but, but don't you remember that time that God looked after you and you kept telling us all of these great miracles? Yes. So, you know, tell me another one. And we can actually encourage us each, each this way. So Moses says, listen, be careful. Right? He's giving people a warning. Lest, you, you know, you're going to forget. Uh, the things that you have seen, um, and it will slip from your where? From your heart, right? Because in Jewish tradition, it's not about your head. Okay, that is the Greek tradition, the sort of idea that uh, I think, therefore I am. And yet, in when you read the Bible and the, in sort of the Hebrew idea, it's it's, a, it's always about the heart. The heart was where. Uh, they thought that you thought, right? Um, you've got to circumcise your heart, not your head. Okay, it doesn't say wisdom's bad. It doesn't say it doesn't pursue knowledge, because it does say to do those things. But it was what your eyes see, it might slip from your heart. That instead of loving God, you'll, you'll turn into love something else, or might not love anything at all. Right? And uh, so how? If We've got to do our best not to forget, which means, therefore, what's the opposite of forgetting? Remembering. Okay. What's his advice? Teach them to your children. Okay. What is one of the best ways to, to learn anything? Is to teach it. Yes. And so he's like, you teach this to your kids. 
Okay, you make sure that this is not this learning, this remembering isn't going to go away in a generation. Okay, and um, and unfortunately, we probably can all admit that uh, the generation that's coming up beyond us isn't as faithful as us. Right? You're getting more and more and more secular people. And a lot of the times you have kids, who, parents, who go to church, and where do their kids go? Nowhere near church. It doesn't always happen. There are lots of exceptions to, to, to that. But the instruction here is you teach these to your kids. You make sure your kids are going to be following in your footsteps. And by the way, that's going to help you remember, because you're going to be, going to be um, and teaching. So you learn uh, by teaching. And then uh, God, uh, Moses, sorry, uh, says, Remember the day that you stood before your God at Chorev? Now the people that he's talking to, right, are the Israelites that are about to cross over into, into Canaan. So most of these people are below, were below the age of 20 when they stood at, at Mount Chorev, okay, or Mount Sinai. And what does Chorev mean in Hebrew? Dryness. Yeah, dryness. What else? It's the destruction, it's the, it's the Choban, it's the root word for a sword. Okay, uh, it's, it's, it's all these uh, very interesting uh, words. And yet that was the name of the mountain that God decided to come down and put his and reveal himself to his people. You know? Because if you had asked me, Aaron, what should the name of the mountain be, I would have chosen something more beautiful. Okay? I would have chosen the mountain sapphire or uh, you know, the mountain paradise or something like that. But um, but you don't get that. Okay. And um, and I'm not hundred percent sure why. Okay, I don't, I don't know why the Lord chose to do it that way, but that's what we have. And, uh, and so God brings his people to this mountain and instructs Moses. He says, assemble the people before me. And they have to, what do they have to do? Hear. Right? Did they like hearing God speak? No, they didn't. Okay, they kind of said, whoa, that's a little too powerful for us. Okay, this ecstatic experience that we're having with God actually speaking is just too much. Uh, Moses, you do all the talking. But what, is, what does God say? I want them to hear my words so that they might... What does it say? Learn to... Yeah. What does it actually say in Hebrew, uh, my brother? In verse 10? They may fear, yeah? You're us. So they might fear the Lord. But what sort of fear does that mean? Does that mean uh, a fear where you're afraid and you want to run away and you're always shaking? Respect. Right. Yeah. And so other different translations will go, well, you know, we don't want to say the word fear because in English it brings up the negative, but there's actually a positive side of fear. The Amplified says it's awful reverence. And profound respect. Yeah. It's, it's, it's or. Okay. So you will learn 
profound respect, mm. profound reverence. You're going to hear my words. That's a little too soft. Yeah, keep going. Okay. <laughs> Eli encompasses it all. It's from fear to awe. It's all of the both. It's a pretty powerful word. Yeah. It's not a, and yeah. it, in the New Testament, we have the same. It's, it's a very simple fear as well, fearing God. Yeah. Uh, it's all involved together there. Beginning God, of wisdom. Jesus says, don't fear him who can just kill your yeah. body. Fear, fear the other guy. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not just a shaking in your boots and your friend. There's actually a, a part of that word which is also positive. Mm. Fear is right? positive, but only as a starting point. Right, right, right. Mm. And you learn it. Right? It's not something, it's something you learn. How do you learn this thing? And where do you learn it? Okay, assemble the people, hear, the, hear my words. Here is also the word for? Obey. Okay, so part of your learning is also to obey these things. And where? In the land. Right? Now all of a sudden, Moses is, well not all of a sudden, he's been doing it in the last couple of chapters too. He's going to go in, he's going to take possession of the land. And by the way, we've already taken some land. And there's a lot about land. In uh, here, it's um, that you may teach them to do, to, to, they may live in the land. Okay? That you can learn fear, you can learn awe, you can learn reverence, and that you will live in the land, and that you may teach them uh, to the children. So somehow this is connected to the land. Isn't that interesting? Yet, where's Moses standing? Right. So that, that little bit. However, they also already own part of the Promised Land. We've already captured the East Bank. Most of the time, we're all concerned about the West Bank. Now let's cross over into, into the Jordan. Except we already have had two and a half tribes take possession of the East Bank. Right? And, uh, and so they've already got it, yet we never talk about that. And I can't tell you the reason why, although I have to say that this is, um, if you ever encounter it as, as people who are skeptics, they'll say that Deuteronomy is a late book. So it's written when we've already lost the East Bank, we're holding on to the West Bank, and so you end up only talking about the West Bank. Although, they already took it. And so you already got that bit of it, and yet we're all focused about going over there. Okay. And about doing all your laws in there. Well, what about right here? Okay. You got to do your laws everywhere. But um, but uh, the, there is a, there is for whatever reason that Moses is saying, and God, and God is uh, is directing that um, oh, hear my voice, put it into practice in the land. There is some sort of connection, something special about uh, this this part of the planet. Moses then turns around and says, and make sure that you haven't seen anything. Right? He says, uh, you came near, you stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, a volcano sort of looking thing, uh, black clouds and sharp darkness. Uh, then the Lord spoke to you from out of the fire. And sort of idea that uh, in Exodus, that uh, when God speaks, there's this fire that proceeds from his voice. Here in Deuteronomy, God is speaking from out of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but you saw no form, only a voice. Now, why would Moses be really careful to try and say this? Even though in Exodus, it tells them they saw voices. 
and they saw fires. And they saw the voice of the shofar. Why do you think Moses is really hammering at home? You haven't seen an image of God. Yes. Because what's going to be their big problem? Idolatry. Right? So it's like, don't make an image of fire. Don't turn God into a fire God. Don't turn him into any other sort of God. I don't want you to make any sort of images. So he's constantly saying things like, but don't remember, you didn't see anything. You heard it. You didn't see anything. Even though you already got some parts of the Torah that actually says, well, you saw something. And they'll have Midrashim about that. But when you get to Deuteronomy, he's really trying to make it sure. Be careful that you, that you don't get into idolatry, which is going to be um, their big thing. And also, so don't worship anything that looks like fire. And uh, although they end up sacrificing children to the fire god later on, but the warning was don't do that. And also don't worship a mountain. Where's Mount Sinai? Please don't tell me it's in Sinai, <laughs> Mount Catherine. <laughs> we don't really know, do we? And perhaps that's, there's a point. Perhaps there's a, a point for you, if you don't know where the mountain is, then perhaps you won't be able to worship the mountain. Okay. So in verse uh, 13, okay. He declared to you His covenant. What is the Brit? What is the covenant? What do you think it is? Okay, so what do you think, Arya? God, Moses is saying, God has declared you to you his covenant to a group of Israelites. What do you think that, what are they hearing? Which covenant are they talking about? Well, he mentions that the Ten Commandments, okay, but he doesn't say the covenant is the Ten Commandments. He mentions covenants. You've got, you got to keep his Ten Commandments. A bit more than that. God's covenant concerns... I believe it's the covenant of, uh, of keeping his instructions, and that would be his people. Yep. And where would they do that? In the land. In the land. Yeah, yeah, constant references to this. And you know you've got a covenant, you've got some instructions you've got to keep. He's also given you this fantastic thing which he even wrote down. Okay, the Ten Commandments. Uh, which which that he wrote it, even though the copy that we've got right now is actually the one Moses wrote. Because what happened to the first ones? Yeah, okay. Um, bit of a boo-boo. But, um, uh, but the second ones that we've got, okay, are the ones that Moses uh, uh, ended up copying. Okay. And um, so the Ten Commandments, uh, which he commanded you to follow, and, and he's written these ones on tablets. But there was a whole bunch of other laws. In fact, once you actually finish the Ten Commandments, the very next chapter is, oh, and these following laws. And then it proceeds with this huge, long, long list. Okay. Um, which some commentaries, uh, uh, Jewish commentaries, will say, and now we have the fine print. Okay. Got all this big stuff, and now you've got this uh, other stuff. And the Lord directed me, this is in um, uh, 14, uh, at that time, <coughs> to teach you the decrees and the laws, okay, the Mishpatot and the, the Chokim, that you are to follow in the land that you are c going to cross the Jordan to possess. 
So why does he keep saying you're going to do these laws in the land? What do you think? There's a huge number of things in the Torah that are only applicable to the, uh, the cycle of harvest and work and husbandry, none of which had been going on in the 39, not 39 years of wandering. Yep, because you, you were given these things at Mount Sinai, right? You've actually had Exodus, you've had Leviticus, and you've got Numbers, but yet large sections of them can't actually be done. Because a lot of it's agrarian, a lot of it's got to do actually in Jerusalem. Uh, so you think, okay, I've got all these commands, but I can't actually physically do them. Um, and, and not only that, they haven't even been doing the ones that they could be doing. Right? Remember, Moses is constantly saying, teach these things to your kids. What does he fail to do? Teach his kids. You know, you could almost turn around and go, I ain't listening to this kid. I mean, your children are nuts. Um, the, the descendants of Moses end up uh, idol worshippers, uh, building idols in Dan, although they try and cover that by, by uh, changing the word. Okay? Uh, what is very interesting in the book of Judges, where it says uh, that Gershom, the son of Moshe, they actually add a nun to make it Menashe, Manasseh. Okay? Even in your text today, it, and, and they even copy it with the nun at the, at the top. So they know what they're doing. Okay? Because they, they really struggle. But Moses, even though he instructs us to take care of our kids, fails to do that to his. That does not mean you can't teach your own kids. You've got to do that. Because okay? you can look at Moses and say, well, our hero, you know, he even blew it too. Okay? King David has a real problem looking after his kids, doesn't he? Right? Very. Very. Okay. Four of them get knocked off because they, they really can't uh, 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 follow the Lord. So it is incredibly important that we look at our children um, as not only just made in the image of God and we need to give them the gospel, which we all do, um, but also to teach and instruct. Okay? And the danger is, is uh, well, it's quite dangerous if we fail to do that. So they didn't do these things in the wilderness. Remember, they didn't circumcise. Right? Isn't that interesting? Okay? Um, that uh, they come out of Egypt and they don't circumcise. What does Moses not do to his kids? Yeah, who ends up circumcising his own kids? Yes, who's not even Jewish. Right? I mean, it's not bad. And then, when they cross into, into, the, uh, into Jericho, first thing we need to do is circumcise ourselves. Right? Um, and Moses is saying, when you get into the land, make sure you obey the commandments. Because if we don't obey the commandments, then we actually end up with Joshua 7, where uh, they suffer a defeat in battle, because they're not um, following uh, the Lord. And, and, and do these commands in the land. But of course, you got that paradox, what do you call this thing on the east side of the Jordan? I mean, we could be doing the law here. For some reason, and I don't know what it is, the, the, there is a big emphasis on the west bank of the Jordan. Boundaries of the land in Ezekiel's prophetic vision are at the Jordan River. There you go. Isn't that interesting? Did everyone hear that? Can you say it a bit louder? 
boundaries of the land of Israel in Ezekiel's prophetic vision for the last days are at the Jordan River. Yeah. So even though the first thing we do is we capture territory on the, on the east side, there is a small discrepancy, because we studied it when we were doing a bit of De Deuteronomy, about who really should and shouldn't have had it, and whose idea it was to actually take this land. Could be, could be, and I'm not going to say it is, but there is a possibility that it actually wasn't meant to be. Uh, it was, was, was uh, Reuven, Benjamin, uh, Reuven, Gad, and the full tribe of Manasseh was supposed to be on this side. I'm not saying that's true. It could be. Okay? Because you do end up with this prophetic portion which talks, it, it seems not to talk about the east side. And Moses is seriously downplaying the east portion of the, of, of the, of the Jordan River. Okay? There are two and a half tribes sitting on this side. They can follow the law here too. Right? Uh, but that's not what we're talking, we're talking about. When you get on that side, start obeying the law. When you get on that side, start doing all the commandments. Okay? Why? I don't know. All right, um, so verse, uh, what are you up to, 15? You saw no form of any kind when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of fire. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully so that you do not become corrupt. Make yourself an idol, an image of any shape. That includes fire. Whether formed like a man or a woman or like an animal on earth or any bird that flies in the air or any creature that moves along the ground, or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, and all the heavenly ray, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshipping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. So what are we not supposed to do? Okay. Don't make images. Okay. What's an image? Make it. What are you not supposed to make an image of? Okay. So what's that then? Sign of Zodiac. Zodiac. Where do you find them? In synagogues. This one's actually from Kamat Tiberius. They're in Beit Alpha, they're in Kamat Tiberius, they're in uh, the one that's in the Ghani, I think. All over the place. But do we not have a command that says don't do this? And yet what you find is in, is in synagogues which are very, very zealous. These are synagogues who are not succumbing to paganism, they are not bowing down to the Greeks, and yet they walk in, uh, in, into, their, um, into their synagogues to worship on Shabbat, and that's what they thought they would stand on. Wow. That's a very good question. Yeah, it's a, that's a really good question. So first of all, let's have a look at what, what uh, they're saying here, okay? So God, uh, Moses, God, Moses is telling his people, wait, sh make sure when we go in there, you don't forget your God, you don't start bowing down to these things that you make, okay, don't make images of fire, don't make images of animals, um, because what, what did they make uh, at Mount Sinai? 
the calf, okay? Now, in the ancient world, um, the gods of the, uh, the pagan nations rode animals. So when you would see Canaanite fertility gods and things like that in, in ancient art, you'd see like this woman on top of a, of a cow. So what was the god? Was the god the cow? No, okay? The god was the woman. The woman rides the beast, right, that you see in Revelation. So when you have these people build a cow, okay, um, and Moses, uh, sorry, Aaron turns around and he says, Behold, these are your gods. And he actually uses it in plural. Okay, there's only one cow, but he's talking about in plural. Where, where was the god? On top of the cow. The god wasn't the cow. Okay, but what was on top of the cow? Nothing. Okay, we've produced this animal for our gods to ride on, but there's no god. Okay, because when you get into the temple, um, how many cows are in the temple? Twelve. Altar. Correct. Yeah. They stood uh, they, as you walk. You, so just before the temple, you have you wash, you wash your hands. Correct. Massive, huge water fountain uh, with twelve cows. Twelve cows, good. One cow, bad. Right. Doesn't quite work out that way. But there was this idea of making things that weren't real and, that, and, and, and bowing down to them. And yet, which is what other, other, other cultures were doing. And then when you get in, uh, into the couple of hundred years after Jesus, you end up with um, these zodiacs, which seem to defy what's just written in this text. Do they not? Because they say, don't make images. So how do you reconcile this? They've gone off the rails when they were <laughs> Yeah, that's one I was like, oh, I completely lost it. Okay. Weren't they influenced at that stage by all the star gazes and the, you know, the timelines? Really Lots of people influenced by that, even to this day, I think. Yeah, but I mean, that was sort of like the start of all of the things. Could be, yeah. Yeah. So if you're super religious, remember, these people would go to synagogue on Shabbat and they would worship the Lord, and they would tell you, swear to you, black and blue, there is only one God. And they don't like Trinitarian, they don't like Christians, they have the Talmud, which argues, says nasty things about Jesus and all that kind of stuff. And yet, what's that then? Have you ever, I'm going to commend a book which I found very fascinating, written in the 1800s, late 1800s, by a guy called Joseph Cease. It's called Gospel in the Stars. Has anybody ever heard of such a book? Okay, he, uh, where he studied this and had a bit of a look, and he noticed that um, in the star signs, which you have this little thing, uh, they're always the same. And they, and they always have interesting characteristics. So one of the star signs is Virgo, in Latin, which in English is Virgin. Or in Hebrew, Betula, which is what you see on the zodiac. Okay, if you go into Chamatavirus, there's a woman, Betula. Okay, what's she holding? A baby. Ooh. Hang on a second. Why is she called that then? So we're sitting right next to her is Arie, which is the lion. Lion of the tribe of Judah. Okay. The, uh, the, the star sign symbol for Keshet, the archer, is a man crushing a snake. 
when you actually have a look, see, what you do is you, we have, when, you, when someone says the word zodiac, we all think uh, modern stuff. But try not to. Now, I'm not saying you should study the zodiac. That's not what I'm saying. I'll say that very clearly for the internet world, okay? I am not saying go look at star signs or zodiacs. Okay? But there was a, a, a hint that, yes, there were stargazers. And uh, they, they were looking for signs. They were looking for the king of the Jews. Did they not come to Jesus saying exactly the same thing? They learnt that from someone. Okay? Uh, I will postulate most likely from Daniel. Uh, I can't prove that of course. And that's okay, you don't have to accept it. But the, the, it could be that the, uh, the Jewish people were also preserving a messianic idea that uh, even the stars tell you the gospel plan. And so they would walk into a synagogue and there would be the virgin, the lion of Judah, crushing the head of the snake. Okay, Gemini, two people. Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David, or as we don't know, he's in the same guy. Okay? All of these kind of ideas would all be linked uh, together. And uh, there was a really cool researcher who wrote this book in the 1880s and then it was completely forgotten for the last 200 years. Okay. Now, um, you don't have to accept it, but I just postulate that even though the text says, don't do this, in some streams of, uh, of, of Judaism, they did do that. And you can see why in some streams of Christianity, art is very powerful. Even though we're told, don't make images. And so what do you have a tendency to find not in Protestant churches? Images, okay? You walk into Christ, it's empty, okay? Because we are following the Protestant tradition where we read these texts and say, well, we're not going to do this. Yet there are other branches of the Christian tradition which felt very comfortable with, with, with drawing images, and so did some branches of Judaism. And they were just as devout. They loved Jesus or they loved God. And uh, they read the exact same texts and they come up with a slightly different variant of reading. Okay, so now they've <clears throat> they did not believe in the Messiah and yet they've got, they've got the Virgin. Yeah. So how did, I mean, if they were pointing towards the Messiah yep. and they were staunch. Yep. How did they? I had no clue. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things, right, um, where you get people who, who come from America or, or no, well, we always say Americans because it's just lots of you, okay? <laughs> okay? But anyway, really, okay, let's talk about the crazy Australians who come here and, you know, they'll say, you know, I've got this tract, you know, it's Isaiah 53 in Hebrew. I'll just walk along the street and say, come on, read this, man, and they'll read it and they'll believe because, whoa, doesn't work that way, does it? Okay? No. Um, we have all kinds of interesting ways to read our Bible. And that includes in the Christian world, where people can love Jesus, read the Bible, and then do the most horrific things. I, I spoke to a group last night, actually, um, uh, of uh, Danish pastors. 
and the majority of them actually secular. <laughs> you know, how, how did that happen? How do people who preach the Bible but don't actually believe what it says? Isn't that interesting? It's, and that we can convince ourselves of all kinds of things. And it, it's in the Jewish world, and it's in the Christian world, and it's in the secular world. And, I th- and that's why I think Moses, when he says things like, don't add or subtract, you know, be very careful. What does it mean? I don't think it means adding and subtracting books. I don't think that's what it means. I think d- don't miss the, anything. When you read the Bible, don't, don't miss that, don't miss this, don't just focus on one thing, take all of it. Because when we fail to take all of it, we're missing sometimes the balance, uh, and we, 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 we head off on these incredible tangents and get ourselves a little confused. But I don't know why. Okay. But also, again, not all Jewish people missed it, did they? No. <laughs> okay, you got them right here. Um, there are Jewish believers growing in number, which is fantastic. All right, uh, where did we get up to? All right, so you're not supposed to make any images, although later on you probably do. Um, uh, how we interpret those verses, oddly enough, changes through history because we're now into um, uh, a season where you don't find zodiacs in synagogues. It's not there. And, and depending on your um, depending on your synagogue, would it be depending on what sort of images are actually physically in the in the synagogue anyway? There's a good deal of worship of Torah scrolls. Though. That's yes, yes. The, that's right. Isn't that interesting? The word of God suddenly became more important than God. No, it's the physical object. The physical object it's itself. Yeah. Beer passed around. And yep. Worship. Yep. And sometimes that can happen in Christianity too. Yep. Yeah, you've got to be very careful with ourselves. And, uh, and I think that's also a good reason why you keep together in groups so that you can point out these mistakes okay, with each other. Okay. But as for you, uh, says Moses, the Lord took you and brought you uh, from the iron smelting furnace out of Egypt. Is that what everybody has in their translations? Thereabouts? Yeah. Uh, to be his people of his inheritance. That's a beautiful word. So what does uh, God or Moses call uh, their time in Egypt? There's a furnace, which has all the connotations of hardship, heating, pain. What comes out of furnaces? Gold. Yeah. <laughs> Refined stuff. Okay. Usually the product that comes out of the furnace is actually better than the stuff that went in. Right? And in the New Testament, same theology. Suffering produces perseverance, character, hope. Right? Go through the furnace to get, to get out the good stuff. Anyone like suffering? No. No. Okay? None of us. Yet we all know that sometimes it's positive. Okay? And how would the bronze snake fit in with the, what he said about images here that he made himself? That is a very good question. Yes, God says don't make images. Oh, by the way, uh, make a bronze snake. Yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, isn't that bizarre? Or don't make images, yet what's the tabernacle decorated in? His image. 
words. Well, well the, the final though, summation of that long passage of images is, is not to worship them. Correct. And with, oh, yeah, I missed that. And with the snake, uh, later on, it was decried and gotten rid of for that very reason, because people yep. had started to worship it. Correct. And so the actual picture is not, not actually a problem. It's the worship thereon of that picture. And so I guess that, yeah, yeah. The, the, you can't make these things to worship them, but you can still make them. Right? Sure, it's a, it's a prohibition against uh, images that would be collected in place, guys. It's right. not a prohibition against art or expression. Correct. I mean, and I think sometimes it's taken too far, right? You can't have yep. any image. Because this week's parasha, yes, I know. Yeah. <laughs> this week's parasha is actually describing um, garments. Right. God, God gets his people out of Egypt, and then spent, which is like 11 chapters or 8 chapters or something like that, and then spends 15 chapters t talking, telling you how to build a tent. And you go, oh my gosh. And he's really into the fine detail. And so this current parasha is all about building uh, the clothing that you're going to put on your priests. And guess what? And it's incredible detail. You're going to wear this sash, and you're going to wear this type of turban, and you're going to wear this type of robe, and your underwear is going to look like this. But it's all colorful. It's all bright. It's colorful. It's not drab. It's not all just in white like we wear today with a little bit of color. I mean, it's more like what you see the Greek Orthodox wear. Incredible colors. And if we actually would have gone into the temple and saw the high priest walk out like that, we most likely in our culture would have gone, dude, that's ugly. Like, Man, talk about a color clash. But God likes color. And he likes art in some way. And, and he wanted to decorate his tabernacle. And he wanted to have pictures and, and things. It's all very interesting. And gold and silver and all kinds of colorful stuff, which we in our tradition right now don't like. Anyone here walked into a Greek Orthodox church and said, gee, I really like this? I've actually learned to appreciate it. I do like it. I've just been to Romania. And it's, so everything is Greek, like the sure. whole country. And they're beautiful, aren't they? Amazing. You and walk in and you go, ones. wow. And because it's not our culture to do gold and silver. <laughs> but it's, what, it's, in the, it's in this week's Torah portion. Okay? And you go, you can see why the Orthodox churches do that. Okay? Because they'll say, but that's what the text says. So that's why I'm going to build. Um, okay. Um, all right. So... God is going to get his people out of Egypt. Egypt was like a refining thing. Okay, that's oh, 400 years of that. Whoa. And then what, but what does he say? What's that, what's that beautiful way he describes his people? You are my... Okay, what's an inheritance? So, uh, yeah, you just get it because... Because you're part of the family. Isn't that it? You just get it. Okay, is it... There's no sort of, uh, if you're good, right? you're my inheritance, <coughs> and, uh, which is a beautiful way for God to talk. And he actually talks about that, about his people, and many, even in the prophets, you're my inheritance. Even though you've wandered away, I'm still going to get you because you're mine. Okay? I get you, which is a beautiful description. Okay, the Lord is angry. Oh, this is, again, Moses. I don't know how many times has he done this already in, in the first four chapters. Okay, the Lord was angry with me because of you. Okay, well, <laughs> all right. Well, why does he keep saying that, do you think? Oh. Moses blames the people and not himself, which is something we always seem to do, is it not? 
I mean, isn't it the Bible also records our own faults, okay? It doesn't, doesn't hide what David did. It tells you, okay? It doesn't, even, it won't, when Abraham's going to lie, we just say it. We don't try and hide. Moses himself said, well, you know, the Lord was angry with me. Well, this is because of you guys, okay? As opposed to, well, I blew it too. And he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land. The Lord your God is giving you as your inheritance. So what does God get? He gets the people. What do the people get? They get the land. Right. Do they deserve it? No. no. Okay. Um, and it's interesting that Moses, he's mentioned this a few times that he's always blaming them. Okay. Most of the people that he did this to in numbers, actually they're all dead. So it's actually the, the younger people. And is so why would he have to say this again and again and again, that he's not going into the land? Because he's explaining to them why. Like these are young people who have been, he's been following them all the time. And they're going, right, we're going to go into the land. So come on, Moses, you coming? Actually, I can't. But well, why not? Well, it's you guys. Um, and so he's explaining to them the reasons why he can't go in. He's also showing some of his... Um, uh, that a very powerful lesson even I if I can't obey the Lord I can't go in look who I am so you better be careful actually quite powerful when you think about it that God doesn't will even judge his own leaders right? his own prophets so just because you're the boss just because you're a prophet just because you're high up there does not mean you're excused from judgment <laughs> or even severe judgment in Moses' case. I mean, the guy fought Pharaoh, did he not? The guy suffered with the children of Israel for so long, and yet he also still can't come in. So it's actually pretty, probably a pretty good uh, warning. Okay? And God calls this land the good land. Okay? Um, now, of course, any adjective is actually subjective, as well as being an adjective. Okay. So what you might call good is not necessarily what I might call good. But God calls it good. So what does that mean? This just mean good. <laughs> okay. There are some people who might disagree with you. But yes. Okay. So what's so good about it? What's so good about the land? Honey and milk. Honey and milk. Okay. Is that all? Okay, I mean, this is a 3,000-year-old city with Wi-Fi. It can't be that bad. <laughs> I mean, God calls it a good land. Yeah. But what, who's currently living in it? Bunch of evil people. Okay, I'm going to take you into a good land, but it's full of evil people. Okay, so what's so good about it? Remember, good is a subjective term. So what do the children of Israel want to do when they're wandering around the desert? Want to go back to Egypt, yes. right? Because they're wandering in the desert, and cucumbers seemed pretty good to them at the time. Right? But now God is saying through Moses, "Go in. It is a good land." Um, and there's, so, if God calls it good, He must seem to think it's pretty special. And uh, uh, even though it itself is full of evil people, which is an interesting thought. All right. 
Um, and then in verse uh, 24, for the Lord... Uh, oh, hang on. Was it go, for you're about to go into a good land. Be careful not to forget the covenant. Okay, There's always this danger, once again, of forgetting. How do you remember from the previous verse, right at the start of the evening? Teach others. Teach others. Yeah, particularly your children. children. Okay, So don't forget the covenant. The Lord your God is made with you. Uh, and do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything that the Lord has forbidden. So we have end up again. Strong emphasis on idolatry, which is exactly how we're going to blow it. But um, it still is the, that's the emphasis. Why should we not engage in, in idolatry? Because our God is what? Jealous. He's a consuming fire. Describe how, how does that make you feel? God is a consuming fire. All-encompassing. God is not just your happy, clappy Jesus, is he? It's not just the one that you can go up and get a hug for all the time. He's also <coughs> jealous. Je he's also a judge. He's also a consuming fire. He's also something that can burn you up. He's also dangerous. Yes. Right? Fire, as David Pelagian. Has anyone been listening to some of the sermons David's been preaching the last couple of weeks? Okay, he did, was discussing this idea of fire. That fire is, you, you need it. It's life. You cook with it, mm -hmm. right? You, uh, you light, chase away the darkness. Uh, uh, it's, uh, it can even have even medicinal purposes. You can use heat to scull the wound and seal things up. But at the same time, it's very dangerous. At exactly the same time as you're sitting inside your house, cooking food, giving you life, too much of it, going to burn your house down. So there's this balance bit. But it, we end up learning in this verse that God has emotions. Mm. Yes? Yes. Which is a phenomenal thing to think about. Think about that. God has emotions. And of course he would have emotions. How would I know he's got emotions? Apart from the fact it's written there. Because we have emotions. And if we're made in the image of God, I got emotions, he has too. And of course, the emotion that's being listed here is jealousy. So if God can get jealous, what does that mean jealousy is not? Sin. It's not a sin. Necessarily. Right. Like anger. Right, because God can also get angry. Mm -hmm. Yes. So the, it's, in, it's, it's not inherently a sin. So it can have some positive uh, emotions to it. Or parts to that emotion is what I should be Really, this is a wonderful thing that God gets jealous because um, any spouse is jealous of their spouse. They, you would want them to be jealous of you. You know, would. you wouldn't want them to say, "Well, you could commit adultery with whomever," and I would, I wouldn't care. I wouldn't no, care. We, we're jealous of yeah. him, and uh, that's a good God thing. God is jealous. We want Him to care that much about us. That yeah. He's jealous for us. Yeah, it shows love. Yeah. Um, God has lots of emotions, and not all of them are described in the Bible, I'm sure. But the good thing about God is he's more in control of his emotions than I am. Um, so here we encounter that he is a jealous God. Uh, in this context, is most likely a warning. So then here, after saying all of this little pep talk and giving a warning, you end up with this very interesting verse 
where Moses says, uh, you're going into the land and it's going to be a successful invasion. And then what's going to happen? But you're going to fail. <laughs> I mean, what a pep talk to give people, yeah? Okay? Go in, take possession. You will take their houses. You're going to plant vineyards. Or actually, you're going to drink wine from vineyards you didn't even plant. And then you're going to bomb out and build idols. And you can just imagine the people going, okay, we're off. Um, it's a very interesting piece of uh, prophecy that, that Moses... Remember, Moses is also a prophet. Right? God has given his people three prophets to wander around uh, the desert with. Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Uh, and here he says, so after you have um, uh, had children and grandchildren, a few generations, uh, and have lived in the land a long time, uh, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and provoking him to jealousy, remember the, the initial sin in the first temple period is idolatry. Uh, and you find that in archaeology. When you walk around um, first an Israelite settlement of the first period, you're going to find idols everywhere. I mean, they were addicted to the stuff. Um, I will call heaven and earth. This is another interesting thing. Okay, so you're going to succeed, and the, and in your success, you are going to fail. Right. So wealth and prosperity doesn't always end up good, does it? What's that theme in the New Testament we have about wealth and prosperity? What's it hard for a rich man to do? So why should we be praying for wealth then? We shouldn't. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? It's hard for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven, but I'd really like to try. <laughs> okay. I don't know, isn't that interesting prayer? Perhaps we shouldn't be praying for this. But um, here, uh, so, so um, Moses is then going to, as part of his warning, he says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you this day, that you will quickly perish from the land. Oh, the land is very important. Uh, that you are crossing over into the Jordan to possess. Why is he going to call heaven and earth as witnesses? What's so good about creation? I call heaven and earth as witnesses. And you can just imagine the people going, cool, it's just stone. Except in Jewish tradition, what is creation? It's alive. Now, that's not, I don't, saying it's a god, it's not a god, right? Any more than a dog is a god. Dog is alive, a tree is alive. How do I know the tree is alive? Guess what happens if I don't water it? Yes. Ergo, she alive. Okay. And um, you have all those interesting little uh, um, sh uh, YouTube videos that describe people talking to their plants and um, you know, making them grow. Yes. Yes. Okay. There's an interesting passage in Leviticus, Leviticus 18, where Moses is uh, describing a complete litany of people you can and cannot sleep with. And then um, all of a sudden, halfway through, he says, if you uh, sin like this, the earth will vomit you out. Not me. Not God. The earth will. Why is the earth so reactive to sin? This is created by God. Yes, because God made the world. The world was? Perfect. Perfect. And then what happened? Sinking. Yeah, through what? Through a man. Okay, so Adam ate the fruit. And then God cursed the earth. Yes. Was it the earth's fault? No. 
And so you have this tradition, and it shows up in the New Testament, because it's inherently a Jewish tradition. Paul says the, the verse Roman. That's it. That's, that's the verse. The earth is... And the language in Genesis does not say that God cursed the earth. He just says it is cursed because of you. Ah, it is cursed because of you. Ah, there you go. That clarifies some stuff too. No, it's, it, is, it is cursed. It is in a state of being cursed. It's cursed. So the earth is in a state of being cursed and the earth is groaning for its redemption. Not its destruction. Right? The meek shall inherit the earth. Heaven and earth eventually come together. This sort of idea that, you know, God made the world, world went bad, and then it's just going to blow up the world. No, God so loved the world. world. Yeah, very special spot. And, uh, and it's reactive. And so uh, here, Moses says, heaven and earth, creation's going to watch you as well. Okay, so be careful. Real quick, uh, Romans 8, for the creation was subject to, subjected to futility, not willingly. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but yeah. because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself would also be set free. And so yes, creation will be set free. Isn't that wonderful to think of as well? That when the ultimate redemption comes, I mean, the, even creation will be renewed as Revelation tells us that, that it will be. And that is going to be a beautiful thought. So here you end up with a, a very hint of that where Moses says, listen, heaven and earth are going to be watching you as well. Okay, So be on your best behavior. Um, the Lord will scatter you, because if you don't, and you get this prophecy, the Lord's going to scatter you among the peoples, and only a few are going to survive among the nations, which the Lord will drive you. This has all happened, of course. Um, but what a weird pep talk that you're getting. You're going to go in, you're going to possess the land, and yet, in all of this encouragement, you also get this, this uh, hint that you actually can't do it. But is that then God going to leave them in this state of a bad no? And that's why it's so beautiful, is because he says, but if, when you're out there, now if you're outside the land, what can't you do? Can't make sacrifices. You can't half the laws you can't do. But does that mean your God is far away? No, because as we read in, uh, in, 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 in verse 7, wherever you call on God, God is close. There's a massive theological shift. I've got a Mishkan. I've got the tabernacle. I've got God living inside um, His Holy of Holies, sitting on top of His box. I've got this uh, fire that's, that's ascending to heaven. Um, I know where God is. He's there. And yet Moses turns around and says, Ah, oh, He's everywhere. Wherever you call on His name, He's close. And so when you fail and you spread around the world, what can you do? You can still pray and you can still seek the Lord. And the beautiful promise that if you seek the Lord with all your heart, because it's always been about the heart, particularly in Deuteronomy, where he focuses the, the Torah to be on your heart, to keep blowing it while we're out in the desert. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. That is a beautiful promise and has been witnessed to uh, through the centuries. As we go through all of human history, there are lots of uh, Jewish people who, who got saved. Uh, outside the land of Israel and now that they're in the land of Israel they are also flourishing uh, as believers 
when you are in distress and all these things have happened, then in the latter days, again a great promise, you will return. Yeah? You will return to the Lord. And you'll obey Him. Um, that could be debatable as to whether that's happening now or not. I guess one of the shocks that a lot of Christians have when they come to the land of Israel is that they come here and they discover that most of the place is secular. It doesn't seem to have that religious nature as I expected. I read the Bible and all these people are praying to the Lord and then I go to Tel Aviv and I go, hmm, doesn't seem to be uh, what I expected, okay? I'm smelling some mother nature here and uh, I'm travel on Saturday. Yes, and there's people not wearing very much and they're all drinking. Yeah, it's like, what is this? Um, this looks just like Amsterdam. It doesn't seem to be different. Whereas, you know, Moses has already said, you've been given the Torah. It is a gift from heaven. Other people are going to look at you and go, wow, what an incredibly smart nation. No one has such compassion in their laws like, like you guys. And then modern people come here and go, hmm, you look just like us. Um, but here, there is a promise that they will return. And the promise is that they will uh, mm -hmm. obey. Why? And the last verse for our evening is because the Lord is a merciful God. So the Lord has already said that he's going to do these things and there's going to be a dispersion. And you know, it's a massive theological problem for Jewish people when the temple is destroyed. It really is. You've got to really think your theology when the house of God has been taken. And all of the stuff that's God's stuff is now sitting in, a, in, a, in somebody else's temple. I mean, massive theology. But here... It, uh, Moses is reminded, wait a second, God is merciful. Out of all of the things, it's consuming fire, this, this judge, there's another characteristic of him. It is his mercy. And he does not abandon. He does not destroy. And he does not forget. Because what's the big problem with us? We forget. We forget. Yeah. And we're just very forgetful people. And so... Some of us, we have, uh, particularly as an Anglican, we have a lot of things that are very repetitious for us, and they're all designed to help us not forget. Okay? We, we stand up on a Sunday and we read the Bible again and again and again, and we pray the Bible, and we say these things so that we're constantly doing, do this to remember me. Okay? They're very, very much a part. Other traditions have other ways of doing it, and there are some parts of our community that do none of that. Okay? for good or for ill. But for us, it reflects the, char for the character of God. He is merciful. Uh, he, he does not abandon his people. They are his inheritance. The people are his inheritance. The land is the inheritance of the people. Okay? And uh, he doesn't destroy them. A lot of them have been killed. That's true. But they are not destroyed as a people. They are still here. And, uh, and God does not forget. Because he cannot forget the covenant that he made with patriarchs. Yes, which is exactly the same thing you're going to see reflected in, in uh, Romans. Okay, a lot of this reappears in the New Testament. That uh, they are beloved because of the, of the patriarchs. And, uh, and that's a very powerful thing, is it not? That the merit of the heroes of God has continued on. Now, so what, if that is true... What should that inspire us to be? Yeah. 
we should be heroes of God to the best of our possible ability because the merit that it can produce is, um, is very, very powerful. And, um, okay, so the next uh, section uh, is going to come up where actually Moses is going to do another theological shift. He's going to tell us that there really is only one God. Prior to Deuteronomy, you could have come to the conclusion that there were lots of gods. You just can't have them. Right? Which god could you have? The god who took you out of Egypt. Okay? You shall not have any other gods. Implying there are other gods. But suddenly, there's going to be a theological shift where Moses is going to say, actually, there aren't any other gods. Okay? It hasn't been said before. But it's going to be said now. That's going to come. This is a very powerful chapter. And there's so much in there. All right. Okay. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.